listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Our passage of focus this morning is Galatians chapter 4. I'd like to read it for us and pray and then we will talk through today's message. Beginning of verse 8, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by their nature or not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of the bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you do not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to make much for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father, we come to the time of walking through and studying together your word. Lord, we Pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you know where each and every one of us and what we need. Father, we stand on the promise that your word will never return to you void, that it will accomplish its eternal purpose in our lives. Father, we need you for that. We pray your spirit would teach us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to understand the truth that is only from you. Lord, it is in your Son's name and by the power of your Spirit we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Hope you will turn with me in your Bibles or on your device to the book of Galatians. A little over halfway and uh, come to the end of May, we will finish out uh, this great book. And what a great study it has been for us. Once again, I want to make sure we all know the purpose of this Book. Why is Paul writing this letter to all of these churches in Galatia? Well, he's great to us, and he gives us the purpose in chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by his grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's Paul's purpose. And so last week, We saw where Paul used the illustration of adoption. 
And we talked about that we all have this tendency. Everyone has this tendency to run back to the orphanage. Because an orphan has a very difficult time trusting others. They have a hard time believing they are loved. They have a hard time resting in the idea that someone is actually for them. An orphan, they are most comfortable in that orphanage. And they will run back to it until something happens. Until they can really believe that they are fully known, fully accepted, and fully loved. When they will finally stop running back to that orphanage. Once again, Paul will come uh, at this battle of trying to win the Galatians back to the truth of the gospel. Today he's going to use the idea of focus. So today here's our big idea. The big idea is going to be true joy. Pure and true joy is found only by focusing on Jesus. Now listen, we're all, we're all familiar with the dangers of losing focus. You know, you take power tools. What an incredible thing they are. But if you do not pay attention, Steve Hudson, or you lose focus, something bad can happen to you. Driving. I was talking to Mike out in the foyer earlier. It's a man that Abby will be driving soon. So, Abby, listen up. What a blessing it is. You could drive 60 miles in an hour now. And uh, just the ability to get around and do certain things. But each day in the United States, over six people are killed. And over 1,000, almost 1,200 are injured in crashes that are reported involving distracted drivers. You know, you take marriage, for example. What a blessing. But if you don't take time to focus on each other, you will drift apart. We uh, think of the Internet. We couldn't function without it. We know we couldn't. But if you do not stay focused, you'll end up in a place that is completely dishonorable. By simply, sometimes you don't even have to be looking for something. It just pops up and it is there unless you realize and you stay focused. But for me, the best example, I agreed to be an assistant coach this year with Brian Thomas for an eight and under boys baseball team. And it's I've got an eight-year-old, but until you put a bunch of them together in one place. So it has been a long time since I've been around that many boys of the same age for an extended period of time. And we talk all the time to these boys about staying focused. Brian holds up the ball, and they know, man, eyes on him. Because if you don't pay attention, man, something bad could happen. But I work with the outfielders a lot. And a seven-year-old in the outfield is quite the experience because trying to keep them focused because the wind can blow a single blade of grass. And all of a sudden, that seven-year-old is on some faraway planet fighting big, giant, green monsters. I've seen it. Something happens. And it doesn't take much for them to completely lose focus. So staying focused, we know it is hard at times but absolutely necessary. And I believe, as I've kind of been thinking this week, well, why is it? Why do we have such a hard time staying focused? And there's many causes, but I think the top two would be this. The amount of information we now have to process constantly. In fact, our brains, they just can't keep up 
with all the change. And in fact, I read this past week that the Sunday edition of the New York Times, one newspaper, contains more information than a French nobleman would have been able to learn in his entire lifetime is wrapped up in one paper on one day of the week. So the amount of information that is thrown at us, but then technologies, and they're always changing. We are constantly connected. There's not a time where you're not connected to someone or, or something. So there's no downtime. There's no time for our bodies and our minds to rest. In fact, the University of London recently did a study They found out that because you and I are constantly connected, it's impacting your IQ. In fact, they said we are now walking around as if we've lost a night of sleep or you're smoking marijuana. That's what being connected is doing to us. So no wonder things are going away in the world. I mean, it's like we're getting dumber and we are walking around like stone sleep-deprived zombies because we're always connected. But to stay focused, man, it is so difficult, but it's absolutely necessary. Because true joy that we're going to see from Paul today is found only by focusing on Jesus. So let's go to our scriptures, chapter 4. He's going to begin that, he's going to say this, that before Christ, our focus is always off. Before you come to know Him, your focus will always be off. Look at verse 8. He says, formally... Or in a different time, a previous time, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's, he would say, not God's at all. So he says, before the Galatians heard and they believed the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ, their focus, it was off. And they were focusing on so many Different gods that, that were out there. If you were a farmer, you had your own God. If you were a merchant, you, you had a certain God for that. In fact, Acts 14, it says they were in bondage to the false gods of Zeus and, and Hermes. That By all of these, they knew them all. And it was their normal way of life. You would raise your children, and it was just what you did. You taught them to worship all the other gods out there. And there would be so many because you had to cover all of your bases. But he says, the same is true for us. Before you or I believe in Christ and what he has done for you, you will always be enslaved to false gods or idols. And at the top of the list, you'd have to put your own name. Before Christ, we're all in danger. We're all enslaved to the false gods and idols. And we sit at the top of that. We are all trying to set up our own kingdoms. But God is so gracious, what Paul's about to say. But when God focuses on you, he's going to say, don't look away. Look at verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world who enslaves you and want you? How can you do that once more? You're observing days and months and seasons and years. And I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So I want you to notice kind of three quick points of interest here. First of all, he says, when you came, when you came to know God. 
And what he's doing, this is salvation from our point of view. This is what it looks like. It seems like you're going through life and all of a sudden, oh, that's who they're talking about. That's who God is. And so hopefully there has been a time in your life that you came to believe the truth about who God was and what he has done. But our point of view, when we look at this, it seems like we begin to focus on the Lord, or we begin to focus on God, but Paul wants to make sure we're clear. The second thing he says, but in reality, it's when God actually focuses on you. So in verse 8, notice this, and if you like to make notes and underline certain things, point out something that's helpful. Paul says for, that there was a time that you did not know God, and this was, it means just an intellectual uh, taking hold of. Oh, you believe in something. But in verse 9, yours reads know or to be known, but, but in the languages, Paul changes words. He says, you, first, you did not know, you didn't have an intellectual hold on God, but now you know or to be known. In fact, the word comes from the root of the word we see in Genesis 4 when it says that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. So Paul, what he's doing, he's moving from just mere knowledge of God, from being into an intimate relationship with God. So Paul's point is that it's not that you come to know God. The, the point is not you grabbing intellectually a hold of God and believing he is there. But rather, God came to know you. So I think what Paul's saying is what makes a person a Christian is not so much them knowing God, but him knowing us. And Paul says, it is not so much your love for God, but rather his love for you that really makes you a Christian. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3, he says, anyone... That anyone who loved God, because God knows them. That is, he has set his love on us in Jesus. And here's why this is so important. Our knowing and our loving of God, you know what it will do? It will rise and it will fall depending on so many factors in your life. And how do I know that? Because I experience that each and every day. There are moments he's the greatest thing in the world. I can't say enough about him. But something happens. All of a sudden my knowing and my loving of God seems to fall and rise depending on my circumstances. But God's knowing and loving us it's absolutely fixed and it is solid. Your knowing and my knowing is fickle and it changes. But God's knowing is fixed and it is constant. And you see, we can easily lose our focus on God. And listen, it happens. Sitting in a meeting this week and I had to go home. I confessed it. I told Marla. I mean, it, somebody said something. It was a great thing to say. And my pride just swelled up in me. And I left there thinking... Why didn't they say that about me? And man, I could just feel that pride swelling up. And all of a sudden, I realized I am the one that was losing focus. And it's so easy for me to lose sight. Uh, this week, it's even happened in my parenting. And I found myself getting angry at things that I never should have been angry at. Because I so easily lose focus on God. But oh, the beauty that he will never lose focus on me. 
Third thing I want us to see in here is what happens when we do lose focus. And it does. When you lose focus, when we turn, he says, you'll turn back to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world that only seek to enslave us. You know, we were created. We were created to focus. That's why you have a mind. That's why you have eyes. But our problem is that we often focus on the wrong things. And so the Judaizers, and we've seen this over and over again, they were focusing on the law, what they could do, their performance to make them right with God. They were focused on their own morality to bring them happiness and joy and purpose and fulfillment. Listen, if you're not that person, you've known someone that lived underneath that. But the Galatians, before Christ, they were focusing on false gods to bring them joy and pleasure and happiness. Because the truth is, we will worship what we think we need for fulfillment and joy. Whatever you place there, whatever you need for happiness or purpose and joy, that is what you will worship. Listen to how J.D. Greer puts it. When something becomes so important to you that it drives your behavior and commands your emotions, you are worshiping. Man, listen, for me, that came so front and center. I realized in that moment what was most important for me was what people thought about me. And that's what I was worshiping. It became front and center. It was demanding my behavior and was commanding my emotions because I completely lost focus. When we begin to lose focus, Paul says we become enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And you and I, will become like what we worship. We will become what we worship. And Paul says it will enslave you. It will control you. Man, think of the many things that can be good things, blessings that quickly become idols. And then those idols can begin to enslave you. You know, most days we would say, yes, children are a blessing. Most days. But you think about it, when we put them at the center of our lives and they become your identity, all it takes is for them to do something wrong or them not to succeed in a certain way. And then all of a sudden, that reflects on our value. You take success. I mean, God has granted many people with success. But when we place that at the center of our lives, it will one day let us down. It's going to happen. Beauty. When we place so much value on our outside appearance and we put it as the most important thing to us, it will leave you trying to always improve because it will never be enough. And listen, we could keep going on the list of things that are good things that we can easily make them idols. But whatever we worship, it will enslave you. Whatever you worship, It will control you. Notice these two words that Paul uses to describe idols. He says they're weak, meaning nothing except Christ can actually justify or energize you for godly living. It is the only thing. There is not a list of rules that can bring you the energy to do that. They're fleeting. They can't be sustained. And he says they're weak meaning they're bankrupt. They have no lasting value. Listen, we've all chased after things only to realize 
Wow, that didn't last long. So we need to feel the force of Paul's words here that if anything or anyone but Jesus is the requirement for you to be happy or, or to have value, that thing will become your slave master. Meaning without the gospel, you will always be focused on an idol. You can't have, without the gospel, there is nothing you can do that can keep you from being unfocused and it will keep you from only focusing on an idol. So Paul, he's going to now plead with him. Look at what he's going to say. He's going to say, focus like you did in the beginning. Look at verse 12. He says, brothers, I entreat or I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. So in verse 12 is an interesting choice of words here. Paul begs or he pleads with them to become like him as he has become like they are. Now, what is he referring to? I think when Paul's writing this, is Paul is saying that he became like them, meaning he is no longer looking and taking the idea of the law and taking pride in this Jewish upbringing, that, that strict obedience to a list of do's and don'ts. He's no longer relying on his before, performance to make him right before God. That's exactly the position the Galatians would have been in. When the gospel comes to them, when they heard it and they believed it, then they had absolutely no righteousness of their own. In fact, they were worshiping all kinds of God. On their own, they had no claim. But now, they were trying to become like Paul. It's like they had reversed positions. They were trying to become like Paul when, before he even heard the gospel. They were trying to become Jewish. And Paul says, no. The gospel came to the Gentiles, not because they were keeping the law. They didn't even have it. Not because they were living morally acceptable lives. It came to them simply because God is gracious. Nothing else. That's the only thing that motivated it. So Paul's going to remind them of how they responded in the beginning. He's going to take them back. Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my, through my condition, it was a trial to you. You did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul came to them, we, we don't know what it is. Something happened that maybe made Paul stop there. It, it says that he came to them because of some bodily ailment. Maybe he was traveling and maybe he planned to move on and he had to stop. And oh, how commentators love the vagueness. So... One idea is that he had malaria. When he was down on the coast, on the coastal region, he contracted malaria. So he travels up to the higher elevations, going to higher ground. And if so, most people would have stayed away from someone with a fever. He had malaria, people would have stayed away. This one's interesting. Some people think Paul is referring to that he had epilepsy, had seizures. Now here's how they get there. Paul in this verse says that you did not scorn me. To scorn, it means to not spit out. 
And a common belief was that an evil demon that caused epilepsy could be cast out or contained by spitting at the one who had it. Seems like a far reach to me, but maybe he had epilepsy. Still another view. Some think he may have had an eye disease. In fact, in verse 15, we're about to read, Paul's going to mention he had the eyes. And some believe that Paul did that because he had some type of eye disease that would have caused people to stand off. But we are not for sure what Paul's ailment was. But here's what Paul's getting at. Their meeting was in no way an accident. It was all for the advancement of the gospel. And Paul says it was actually a test because people often looked at physical weaknesses such as an illness or fevers as a divine displeasure that God would have had on you. If something happened, it was always God punishing you. And so what did you do? You had to make sure that you kept the gods happy or they would bring sickness upon you or your family. But what's interesting is the Jews are not even immune to this. Whether you had the law or not, whether you were God's chosen people or not, they all struggled with this idea that God's always out to get you. John 9, miraculous story of a blind man that's healed. He can finally see and no one can believe it. But the question that they always had was, whose sin caused this man's blindness? Or what sin caused him to not be able to see? But Paul comes with this ailment. Something is wrong with him. When most people would have stayed away, Paul says that you received me. You did not reject me. Not only did you accept me, you completely accepted my message. You know, it's interesting that God doesn't promise to bless Christians by always removing suffering. In fact, I think we can sometimes get that story of view and fall back into that thing. Oh, then I must have done something wrong. But what God does promise is to bless Christians through our suffering. In fact, Christ suffered not so that you and I wouldn't have to, but that in our suffering we would actually become more like Him. And what's interesting is Paul welcomed that. He said, anything it takes to make me more like Christ, let it be. So God uses our suffering to bring about good things. Sometimes it involves circumstances, Paul's illness. It brought him many friends and opportunities to share Christ. But other times the reason was not to work, is to work in the person for maybe something about their character. So I think the point is that we should look at things in our lives that maybe aren't going as we had exactly planned we got to look at them. What is God trying to do in this circumstance? How could the gospel be advanced through this suffering? What is God trying to do? What is, how is he trying to shape me to be more like his son? This will only happen. This only happens with the right focus. And Paul's focus was actually on Christ. Therefore, he could see this as an advancement of the gospel, not a chance just to sit back and say, woe is me. But if our focus is only on ourselves, we'll miss it every single time. So Paul, he's going to remind them that in the beginning, you had the right focus, and he wants that for them once again. And I think Paul can visibly tell 
that they've lost their focus. He's not even with them, but he can tell that something has changed. Because look at verse 15. Because losing focus, this is what Paul will say. Losing focus, you know what it will do? It will actually rob you of true joy. Verse 15 he says, but then, but when it has become of your blessedness. What happened to your joy, he says. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gals, you would have cut your own eyes out and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? When they lost focus, they lost their joy. Paul witnessed their joy from the very very beginning and the love that they had, especially for him. They took him in. They accepted him when others would have rejected him because of whatever was wrong with Paul. In fact, Paul says they loved him so much, he had no doubt that they would give in their own eyes for him. But here's the problem. They've lost focus. And Paul notices two changes. First of all, Paul has now become an enemy of theirs. He says, once we were beloved, we were friends. But now, now we're enemies. And second, he says, because you've lost your blessedness, or that word is joy. This is what losing focus on Christ does. Because when you're not focused on what Christ has done for you, and his unconditional love, what happens is our circumstances or maybe even other people, they will rob you of joy. Listen to how Tim Keller says it. Until you are convinced, fully convinced of God's incredible love for you, you will continue looking for replacement love everywhere but in the heart of Christ. And that's what happens when that replacement love It can only lead to robbing you of true joy. For the Galatians, the joy robbers actually came in a group of people. Verse 17, this is what we'll see. Some people, and I think it's so true for us, some people will seek your focus for the wrong reasons. Listen to uh, 17. They, the Judaizers, they make much of you but not for for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. See, they is obviously the Judaizers, and notice how crafty they are. First of all, they come in and they make much of these Galatian Christians. They, They build them up and they praise them. They make a big deal of them. Maybe even gave them gifts. But the reasons, Paul says, were no good. And Paul can see right through it. The second thing is they tried to shut them out. means this. They tried to isolate the Christians. They tried to block other people out. Maybe other people that would come from Paul or maybe even his letters. And they tried to shut them out. They tried to keep them and to isolate them. They really wanted the Galatian Christians actually to focus on them. They were the leaders. They were the prideful ones that said, no, look at me. They wanted their allegiance. So just just for a simple point of application, maybe kids and teenagers, I, I would say this. Beware of people that always try to butter you up or to build you up or to give you things 
when they're always looking for something in return. Man, we need to be aware of that. But also, be aware of people that don't want you to have other friends. People that get upset or jealous because you might do something with someone else. In fact, in the Bible, there is only one exclusive relationship that it mentions. And that's between a husband and wife. That is the only exclusive relationship that we are to have. So the Judaizers, they were trying to gain the focus of these Galatian Christians by building them up because really what they wanted to do, they wanted their focus to actually be on them. So the Judaizers, they were focusing on them, building them up. Paul says it's all for the wrong reasons. So Paul's going to close out this section by reminding them of a better or a pure focus. He's going to say this, God focuses, God's focus is to build you up in Christ. Look at verse 18. It is always good to make much of someone for a, a good purpose or a good reason. He's saying it's, it's okay to say something nice. It's okay to give a gift. It's okay to point out something about someone else, but only if it's for a good reason, and not only when I'm in your presence. So it's not wrong to give a compliment. It's not wrong to extend a helping hand. But as long as the purposes are not selfish ones. And then in verse 19, he says, my little children. So he has great affection and love for these people. So notice the last two verses. My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth. And here's what you need to underline. Until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So Paul uses the imagery of a, of a woman expecting about to give birth. He's using this to describe how he feels about these people and why God has sent his focus on them. Because this word formed, it refers to the process of a fetus developing into an infant. There is a growth that happens. There's a process, and he says it takes time. But God long ago, Paul says, set his focus on them. And the reason he did it was so Christ would be formed, developed in them. Because without God's gracious focus, Christ could never be formed in us. And that's what Paul says. Listen, there isn't anything external that you can do that's going to make you more like Christ. But only because of God's gracious focus on you, then it can happen. And that's why God has put his laser focus on you. It is so that you will progress and so that you will grow. Because the truth is, we cannot grow in ourselves. We will always pursue selfish things. So, three things I notice. Notice how God is working in all of this. You can't grow yourself, much less form Christ within you. It must be God's gracious work. So, God the Father set His focus on you, that you could then set your focus on Him. And that's the only way it happens. But then God the Son came and He earned the focus of God in your place. We can never do enough to earn God's attention or focus. Christ does it for us. 
But then as we saw last week, God the Spirit is within us to snap us back into focus when we become distracted. Do you know the reason a coach, those softball and baseball players, the reason they want them to learn to focus is because they know the joy that comes in playing the game. They know the joy of turning a double play. They know the joy of hitting a game-winning run. They know the joy of working as a team to accomplish something that you could never do by yourself. They know the joy of winning. But even greater, God knows something. In fact, God knows many things that we don't know. But God knows that lasting, true joy is only found when Christ is being formed in you. And when He is working in you to sanctify you, we are being shaped more and more into the likeness of Christ. So the question would be, where are you focusing? and Where are you looking for joy? And I can't tell you how many times this week that came up, then I realized, oh no, it is all in the wrong focus. So true joy is found only by focusing on Jesus. Let us pray. Father, this morning, you know, the great thing is, is that we can come before you and no matter what Sunday of the year it is, and you are always there. Father, so I thank you personally for the truth that there is in your word this morning and how you used it in my life of reminding me of how important it is to stay focused and, and the evils that happen when we lose it. And I know for me, it isn't the things outside, it was within my own self that I could see that happening. So Lord, be with us over the rest of this week. Help us to have focus. And Lord, we praise you for setting your focus on us so that we could focus on you. And Father, show us this week that true joy, lasting joy, is only found by focusing on your Son. Everything else... Everything else will fall short. So, Lord, it is His name that we ask all of these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.